My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Maggie Neal is a professor emerita at the Stanford Graduate School of Business, where she worked for more than 20 years, researching and teaching on the topics of negotiation and team performance. Maggie has conducted negotiation and management seminars in more than 15 countries for trade associations, universities, small businesses, and Fortune 500 corporations. Maggie also serves as the faculty director for three executive programs at Stanford, Influence and Negotiation Strategies, Managing Teams for Innovation and Success, and the Executive Program for Women Leaders. She is the co-author of five books and more than 70 academic articles. I hope you enjoy learning from Maggie Neal today, because I certainly did. Maggie, it's great to be able to talk with you today. One of the first projects I ever worked on as a PhD student was one with you and Jennifer Overbeck back in around 2015. So it's great to be able to chat with you today. It's good that we're still both alive and functioning. <laughs> that's, that's all anybody could ask for, right? Uh, you've had a wonderful career, Maggie. And as you think back on your academic research, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons you've learned that you'd most like to pass along to others? Um. Yes, there are actually. Um, and the first one actually arises from my my work and teaching in negotiation, um, which is one of my areas of expertise. And that is the admonition to ask for what you want. And one of the things that I have noticed with both with me and with other folks with whom I've interacted in a research or uh, environment is oftentimes people will adjust their ask or not ask their universities or their colleagues, their research co-authors for things that could be really helpful to them in improving the quality of the research or supporting the research. And and they often do that because they don't want to, uh, they, they somehow feel that, that they're going to be seen as being greedy or um, or uh, inconveniencing others and that sort of thing. Um, and, I, and I'm really a real, um, very strong uh, proponent of having folks ask for what they want, because if, if you don't ask for what you want, how will anybody know what it is you want? And they may not have, they may have certainly have the opportunity to provide that resource to you. And it may be something that they would like to do. And this is what we underestimate. We underestimate how willing people are to actually help. And so, um, you know, I have asked Stanford for things that I was pretty sure they wouldn't say yes to, and they surprised me. And so I'm just a a real advocate for um, asking folks, because if you don't ask, you already know, you won't get. And if you ask, you might be surprised. Any specific examples you can think of is that you've asked for Stanford that they've given you? Yes, uh, I had a, we had a project that we were thinking about doing, and it was going to be exceedingly expensive. And and, and again, I acknowledge that Stanford is a uh, a well funded university. So, uh, but even this was extreme in my estimation, and I was um, I was a little hesitant to ask um, for the kind of funding we were looking because we had to f- actually create. Uh, flash teams in this particular study. So we had to pay people to come in uh, and create flash teams. And I asked for that resource uh, with one of my senior uh, co-authors. And Stanford said, we think it's a really interesting study and we would like to see it happen. 
So that's one X, one, one example. Um, and that paper is actually uh, being is under review right now. And so it actually came to fruition. Wow. We did all the work and it's and it's uh, a paper that has uh, I think it's got a real it's got some real interesting insights. There was another example where we spent a whole lot of money and came up with nothing. So uh, and that may have been a study that you were sort of involved in in terms <laughs> of collecting data on um on cortisol and uh yeah. Uh, yeah we spent a lot of money collecting cortisol samples from subjects and having them negotiate and pretty much we didn't have data that supported anything it was pretty much non-significant findings yeah so, I, I took a lot of uh trips to fedex with uh some cortisol samples packed mm -hmm. on dry ice and and mailed them off to the lab there in california and yeah, sadly, uh, you know, we had we had some really interesting ideas, but the, the yeah. data didn't didn't support the ideas. Yeah, I think this is really interesting because if we don't ask for what we we want, uh, we leave it up to other people to mind read and mm -hmm. get hopefully um, guess what we're thinking. Or or if we don't ask what we want, uh, we have to mind read them and try to predict their response. And, and so the best thing to do is just ask. And you know, one of, as, as you know, one of the most robust findings in psychology is the anchoring bias. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we might not get what we ask for, but even still we potentially anchored in a way that will help us get uh, something much better than we would have got had we not even asked. Well, I also think that there's a lot of research that talks too about how we overestimate um, how many people we'd have to ask to get what we want. And so, or, or we underestimate people's willingness to agree. And so I think both of those fall into that category of, you know, just take the risk, ask. Yeah. Okay. Great lesson. Uh, any other lessons you'd like to share? Yeah. There's a, one that actually is uh, more in terms of, um, of specific research um, over the years, you know, we, I've got, you know, we've, my doctoral students and I, and my, my research colleagues and I have had lots of great ideas and we've, you know, developed hypotheses, we've run studies and the data don't cooperate. In fact, sometimes the data is surprisingly moving in directions opposite from what we hoped. And there's always that tendency to simply run the study again or tweak the study or, or, or basically keep running the study until we get the, the results that we expect. And I think that that's a, uh, a dangerous process um, because what I, what I really like and what I have found to be very useful, especially in working with doctoral students and their dissertations is to let the data speak and to not assume the data that there was just, you know, you needed to up the amplitude of the manipulation or uh, you needed to increase the subject population, but rather go back and when the experiment doesn't give you the outcome that you expected, um, try to understand what the data are telling you. And you may find a very interesting new path to take as opposed to saying, oh, this is wrong. There's something bad. We just have to keep forcing it until we get the result we want. And one of the best examples of that was um, was a study that I was doing with with my late colleague, Catherine Phillips. And we had, she had with her dissertation, part of her dissertation. And we were expecting the data to come out a certain way, and, and it didn't. And she was really distraught because this was her dissertation study, and it was really important to come out. 
And I said to her, okay, but let's see what the data is telling us. And when, when she kind of went back with that kind of more open view of, well, okay, let's see what these results might mean as, an, as a way of um, revising the hypotheses rather than simply rejecting the data. Um, she actually found a result that led to a whole series of research um, projects and publications that helped her understand how teams react um, to when they have um, members who are diverse. And it, it really did change her research orientation, her research direction. Yeah, I think this is such an interesting lesson because it can be so easy as you know, people go to school and get more and more degrees and get more prestige to develop more confidence in their perspectives, even to the point of arrogance. And to me, one of the most valuable things about this job is I develop hypotheses. I am certain they're going to come out one way. I collect the data. And like you said, not only do the data not support it, sometimes it's in the complete opposite direction. Exactly. And, it, and it's always so humbling. It's like, man, sometimes I just don't know anything. <laughs> but I think at times that's a good approach. And so acknowledging we don't know, but then look at the data and see what we can learn from the data. And, you know, we're so prone to confirmation bias. Uh, the nice thing about having data is, like you say, if we let the data speak for itself, we can learn new and interesting things. So great lesson and great story. Any other uh, final lessons you'd like to share before we wrap up? Well, it's it's actually something directed at faculty as they kind of contemplate how they allocate their time. And I just want to make a pitch for the importance of mentorship to doctoral students and junior colleagues. Um, one of the things that has, has kept me energized over the years of my career uh, was the relationship I had with my doctoral students and the research that resulted from that and from the interesting ideas that they brought to the table. Uh, you know, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of interesting to watch sort of in retrospect um, how my career adapted because of the doctoral students I had. Um, you know, early on, my doctoral students were primarily people who were interested in negotiation research. Um, and then I had a couple of doctoral students, Jeff Polzer, who's now at Harvard, who said to me in the midst of work, trying to work through his dissertation proposal, I don't want to be a Maggie clone. You know, I don't, you know, if people, you know, if I do research on negotiation, they're just going to say, well, that's just Maggie's research. And so he said, what I want to do research on is teams. And I went, well, Jeff, I don't know a whole lot about teams. And he said, well, you're, you can learn. And so we <laughs> did. And now teams, you know, with that sort of path, you know, the path deviation, uh, teams became another one of the major aspects of my research. And that was because of my interaction with Jeff and basically accommodating his, his desire to be different than and uh, bringing up new ideas that I hadn't considered. And so um, my doctoral students, even now, I've been retired now for about three years. I'm still basically publishing, not nearly as, as rapidly or as often as I did before, but it's still a function of the doctoral students who are now tenured faculty who continue to do research and of which I'm a part. So it was a great investment and it continues to pay dividends even today. Yeah, I love uh, uh, Jeff, the, the, you know, asking for what he wanted, like, hey, Maggie, <laughs> yes. uh, you can learn groups, want to want to help me. Uh, and, and, you know, over and again, um, the one of the most important predictors of our you know, life satisfaction and happiness is the relationships we have with other people. So I really appreciate that idea of looking for ways that we can 
mentor those in our sphere and, and help others. Mm-hmm. Well, Maggie, you've had such a, a wonderful career and I know you could talk for days and months on all of the things you've learned, but uh, to me, it just makes these lessons uh, more important and special. So thank you for sharing these. Uh, I look forward to sharing these lessons with others and, and trying to apply them myself. All right. Thanks so much, Nate. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. Maggie Neal has had such a wonderful, productive, impactful career, and I love the lesson she shared. First, ask for what you want. Over and again, Maggie asked Stanford for things that she wanted, expecting the answer to be no, yet over and again, she was surprised at the answer. We tend to underestimate how willing people are to help us, so we should ask for the things we want. If we don't ask, we already know we won't get it, but if we ask, we might be surprised. Second, let the data speak. The world is more complex than we appreciate, and our predictions are often wrong, sometimes in the complete opposite direction. But by letting the data speak, we open ourselves up to new ideas and opportunities, such as Catherine Phillips launching into a whole series of research by simply following the data. And finally, mentor others. One of the things that kept Maggie energized throughout her career was the relationship she had with her doctoral students. That relationship also led to entirely new fields of research that still pay dividends today. Of the countless lessons Maggie could have shared from a 40-plus year career, I think the lessons she did share are all the more important. Ask for what we want, let the data speak, and mentor others. All simple ideas. Please take them seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thank you for all of your support.